Hello and welcome back to Oro Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. Taking a little break, but I'm right back at it now for Sunday of the Word of God. Why is it that the third Sunday in ordinary time is Sunday of the Word of God? Because we talk about the Word of God every Mass, every day uh, that we have liturgies. But to talk about what we Catholics mean by the Word of God is very important. So for us Catholics, the Word of God is primarily always first Jesus, and second, it's the Scriptures. But when we look at the Scriptures, we look at them differently from, well, certainly fundamentalist Christians, and I think the way that Islam looks at the Scriptures. And so as I talk today about the Sunday of the Word of God and the meaning of the Gospel from Mark, let's take a moment and remember that God speaks to us through Scripture in human language. I don't know about you, but it's tough to keep up on uh, what's happening in the blogosphere with videos and such, because there really is some terrific stuff online if you'll go by all the tons and tons and tons of garbage. Still, you'll find some really intelligent people talking about different perspectives. And one of the ones that I wanted to comment on was a recent uh, viral video that was released on Christmas Day, just last this last Christmas, by uh, Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris. Jordan Peterson is a psychologist, kind of a controversial figure, very popular, especially amongst young males. Sam Harris is uh, an atheist. He's a neurologist, bright guy, doesn't seem to much respect or understand religion. And sometimes those two have battled. But in this time, they wanted to talk in a much more cooperative way about the different ways they look at scriptures. So where I'm getting this from is on the Word on Fire website, a really good writer who's a philosopher, um, Sam Kazor is uh, uh, Dr. Christopher Kazor uh, is writing about it, and he's a very smart commentator. Here's one of the things he said. Among the most important of the differences between Jordan Peterson and Sam Harrison, the agnostic and the atheist, by the way, Jordan Peterson's wife just became a Catholic, is a fundamental disagreement about the Bible. As stated in his forthcoming book, We Who Wrestle with God, Peterson sees Scripture as pointing to deep wisdom about the value of sacrifice and making atonement with the highest good. But Harris sees the Bible as an enormous stumbling block. And so here's what Harris said on that program. I'm effectively an atheist with respect to Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, despite all the other things that make me a good candidate for being sympathetic to those traditions. I reject the claim about the books as God's word. It's so preposterous, given how easy it would be for an omniscient being to have, to, to have proven his omniscience in those books. It would be trivially easy for an omniscient being to put a page of text in there would even now be confounding us with its depths of inspiration, scientifically, eth ethically, in every other sense, right? So what's Harris expect? He wants to be wowed by Scripture. Um, he wants Scripture to tell him E equals MC squared, or even 
uh, truths about the nature of quantum physics, which we're not going to know for a while. But you know, that has been historically a reaction of uh, many that have come to the scriptures. St. Augustine in the 6th century, 5th century, I guess, rejected uh, Christianity, became a Manichee, which is uh, this dualistic religion. It's still around, kind of, in various forms. You know, the yin and the yang, good and evil, are these equal forces that oppose each other. And then the idea of Manichaeism is you have to get away from the physical world because all the evil comes from our uh, fleshly impulses. And then you'll live in a uh, completely spiritual state in the world to come. The church rejects all of that. Christianity rejects all of that. I think all Christians reject that. But Augustine's big reason for that was that when the Bible said things like, by the finger of God, because Jesus would say, if by the finger of God, well, God has fingers? Well, he's like these pagan deities that sit up on Olympus. See, if you can't read the Bible in a metaphorical way, and I'm guessing you, like me, just like read it in a metaphorical way because we've kind of been enculturated to think about it like that. But Augustine wasn't. And that's also why I find people like modern atheists like Sam Harris who uh, can't seem to get past those kinds of things about God. So here's the key to thinking about God. And remember, one God, three divine persons, we say. And so I'd say terrific theology because three divine persons uh, is love. Um, Father loves the Son. The Holy Spirit's love shared between Father and Son. This is how we think about it metaphorically, but it says something absolutely true about the nature of the three persons that are the one God had. But mathematically, it doesn't make any sense. And so we understand that when we're talking about things that are kind of beyond us, that uh, we have to think in a different way than we think about uh, God and religion. But when Harris thinks God is like a supercomputer and can come up with really, really smart things and he should try to wow us in order to prove that he exists. Here's what I want to remind you about your faith. Remember what we say, God is love. Love is a person. And that love comes through us through Jesus Christ. God is love. Now, God, who is love, can make the world. He can raise the dead. He can give life. He can forgive. He can heal. God does all sorts of things. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob does that all through the uh, Old Testament. And it's why when you get to the New Testament, you can recognize that what Jesus does is what God in the Old Testament does. And so Jesus at one point uh, insinuates that he is the Torah. He is the law. Uh, He's the walking, talking uh, uh, person of God. Uh, But to see that Jesus, it participates or is the incarnation of this God that nobody can see, the invisible Father. And he becomes visible so that we can see what and understand what God is trying to tell us. Well, that's what the Bible is. The Bible's not a science book. It's not a cookbook. It's not fiction. It has all sorts of different kinds of things in it. It has books of prophecy, and sometimes they try to foretell the future successfully because they're in the Bible. That's the only reason they made it in the Bible. There's histories in the Bible. 
There's law codes in the Bible. There's stories in the Bible. There are like fictional stories that have a moral to them in the Bible, but probably the story itself never happened. Jonah would be a really good uh, example of it. Job would be a good example of it. These are stories that are told for the edification of the reader. So when we talk about the Bible, especially the Old Testament, we say it's the word of God in human language. It's not a book. It's, it's a library. There's all sorts of stuff in it. So it's how God communicates his loving intention toward us in human language. But you have to take a look at the time in which it, these books were created, the genre, that is whether it's a novel or a history book or a law book, different kinds of things. And so when you ask whether or not you take the Bible literally, the question is, did you take libraries literally? And the answer is, yes, on some things. Others are meant metaphorically. You have to be an intelligent reader. And uh, it has taken time for the church to come to terms with that. Because fundamentalism, what fundamentalism is the idea that everything is to be taken literally, which is odd because the fundamentalists don't even do that. When you get to John chapter 6 and Jesus said, my body is true food and my blood is true drink, Fundamentalists apparently do not take that literally, and it's meant literally. And so that when you're reading the scriptures, the idea of trying to understand the context and the means by which God is uh, communicating to us. So Pope Benedict XVI um, wrote about this, and here's what he said um, in one of his books on uh, in his uh, document on... Um, on uh, scripture. The basic problem with fundamentalist interpretation is that refusing to take into account the historical character of biblical revelation, it makes itself incapable of accepting the full truth of the incarnation itself. As regards relationships with God, fundamentalism seeks to escape any closeness of the divine and the human. For this reason, it tends to treat the biblical text as if it had been dictated word for word by the Spirit. It fails to recognize that the Word of God has been formulated in language and expression conditioned by various periods. So let's go through that and unpack it a little bit before we get to the Gospel and think about what revelation is in the Word of God. So a fundamentalist believes in what's called the dictation theory. And sometimes you see it because this has been one of the theories of Scripture in the history of Christianity, including Catholicism, that we've moved away from it because it just it, it doesn't do justice to the Scriptures. But if you ever see an icon of, say, uh, St. Luke or St. Mark writing, and there's an angel whispering in his ear the idea of write this down, write this down, um, that uh, is the dictation theory. You know, I don't know if you ever watched The Chosen, but Matthew, who's kind of a cool character, walks around all the time taking notes. There's no angel whispering in his ear. Um, but there is this very human person trying to understand what Jesus is saying and is taking notes contempor contemporaneous with Jesus preaching. Now, Catholics don't believe in the dictation theory as to someone following around Jesus and like a stenographer there's no evidence that ever happened. And it wouldn't even be typical, typical, I think, 
of learning uh, paradigms in that period of time. The reason Jesus tells so many stories is that those are what people remember. And he probably told the same stories over and over again. You've met people like that. But if you have a good one, uh, you know, uh, don't let it go. Keep using it because it makes the point in a memorable way. And when you're talking to people, well, like Sam Harris, who's a very smart guy, but you're also going to talk to people who are the simplest salt-of-the-earth people in the world, you have to have a way that everybody gets the basic message. You know who thinks about uh, the dictation method is Islam. Apparently, I think one of the dominant understandings in Islam is that the Quran was uh, dictated word by word to uh, Muhammad. And that is, I think, how Sam Harris the atheist thinks about scripture. But remember uh, the basic things that I'm trying to get across here on Word of God Sunday. The Bible isn't in a book, it's a library. There's some stuff that you take seriously, I mean, uh, literally, you take it all seriously. Some points you take literally, some are metaphorically, some are uh, uh, stories like Jonah, Job's suffering that's supposed to appeal to you about the mystery of suffering without offering this hard and fast solution to the problem of evil in the world. It's supposed to take you into a deeper contemplation of the God who is love, uh, but allows his people to suffer. Um, that's really at the heart of that show, The Chosen. Um, everybody's gonna suffer. And, but Jesus says all of that. And so it's the inescapability in scripture of love and suffering that go hand in hand. So I wanna take this as an example for talking about the gospel uh, from Mark, uh, from this weekend uh, on Word of God Sunday. The Gospel from Mark for the uh, third Sunday of Ordinary Time begins like this. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. As he passed by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets into the sea. They were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Come after me and I will make you fishers of men. Then they abandoned their nets and followed him. He walked along a little further and saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They too were in a boat, mending their nets. And then he called them. So they left their father Zebedee in the boat, along with the hired men, and followed him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's just walk through that and think about it uh, as the gospel fits into this larger Jewish culture. Because... Uh, we go only forward in life, but the only way we understand life is backwards. And so the way to understand Christ and the gospel is you have to understand the Old Testament as backdrop to it. I mean, if Sam Harris was a uh, version of God was writing the gospel, apparently it would just been written in an encyclopedia form so you'd know exactly what to think of Jesus. But Jesus appeals to the human intelligence through the power of storytelling. Um, so John the Baptist has been arrested. And you remember, especially if you watch The Chosen, Andrew and John and Jesus were all with John the Baptist at some point. Andrew and John were actually disciples of John the Baptist. And 
When they had left John the Baptist, they'd gone back to their day jobs fishing on the Sea of Galilee, Andrew with his brother Simon, John with his brother James. Jesus, if you remember, after John was arrested, he went out into the desert where he was tempted by Satan on the three temptations, and he survives those temptations. And that's when John's arrested and Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So there, I got you up to speed on where we are in the gospel. This is the first thing that Jesus says. This is the time of fulfillment. Uh, what does he mean by that? Well, again, it's about understanding the story of Scripture, but understanding the cultural context of, of the gospel. So first century A.D., Josephus talks about it. Um, the Jews are Messiah crazy. There's like 13 different histor historical examples that scholars know of, of men that claim to be a Messiah. Women never claim to be the Messiah. Uh, the Roman invasion, the Roman destruction of Jerusalem was motivated by a Messiah in the early 60s. And then the temple was destroyed in the year 70. Bar Kokhba was the Messiah, who was a military leader. And, uh, and he once again provoked the, uh, the Romans into another war. Bar Kokhba, by the, mean, by the way, means son of the star, because remember, that that's out of Genesis. The star will rise out of Judah uh, as a sign that this is God's chosen one. Well, the reason all these people in the first century thought that the Messiah was coming is a prophecy that was in Daniel chapter 9, how we have Daniel uh, cut up. So chapter 9, you can read it. And in Daniel chapter 9, I uh, see if I can get it right here. Um, in verse 24, it says, and this is after it talks about the Babylonian exile, talks about the restoration of the temple in the sixth century BC in in uh, in Jerusalem, and then it has this formula which should sound familiar to you: seventy weeks are decreed for your people and for your holy city. Then transgression will stop and sin will end. Guilt will be expiated. Everlasting justice will be introduced. Vision and prophecy ratified. And a holy of holies will be anointed. So 70 weeks is generally um, uh, thought to refer to 70 weeks of years. Okay, so that's um, 70 years. And then it talks about the uh, holy of holies will be anointed. That's the Messiah because... Uh, the word for anointed in Hebrew is where we get the word Messiah. And I think it's Meshach, I think is, is the Hebrew word. And so it will stop and sin will end. Guilt will be expiated. Justice, the Prince of Peace, right, uh, will be introduced. So it sounds a lot like Jesus. And then it says, from the utterance of the word that Jerusalem was to be rebuilt. So from the time that the edict comes down, which is sometime in the 500s, uh, until there is an anointed ruler, there shall be seven weeks. And so the way that the, they were thinking about it in the first century is uh, when uh, Daniel wrote this in like the second century, so several hundred years after the events of the rebuilding of the temple, they would interpret it as uh, seven times 70, which is 490. And then it says, and in the course of 62 weeks, it shall be rebuilt 
with squares and trenches in a time of affliction. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut down with no one to help him. And the people of a leader will come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, the temple. His end shall come in a flood. Till the end of the war, which is decreed, there will be desolation. Jesus talks about that at the end of the Gospel of Mark. This whole portion and how it's understood in the first century. Uh, I'm not sure that it's easy for us to understand now, but if you do the math, like what, seven times 70 is 490 plus 62, it actually takes you into the first century and why it is that the people in the first century um, are thinking that the Messiah is coming. And a point I want to make about this is you and I believe that Jesus is the Son of God because he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. We talk about Daniel not because it proves to us that Jesus is God. The resurrection, um, everything that he does, this is who God is. But it does explain why the people are expecting a Messiah. That's the important point. And so that when Jesus is talking in the Gospel of Mark, this is the time of fulfillment. You're asking fulfillment of what? Fulfillment of the prophecy of the Messiah, fulfillment of Daniel, just put it all in. All the prophecies have come together. And so here I am, this is fulfillment. And then Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And they would have thought of the kingdom of God in that time as they're looking for a military leader, which I think Catholics get pretty strongly. But Jesus is the kingdom of God. And so if you think about the scriptures, and then the sacraments, especially baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist, they're all participation in the person of Jesus. Because remember, we are, we are baptized into his death. Um, we are part of his body. That's Acts of the Apostles. It's St. Paul. It's Christian doctrine um, that we are the body and blood of Christ and that we receive who we are when we come to Eucharist. And so for Catholics to read the kingdom of God is at hand, we'd read it one way and the correct way. But maybe Jews listening to this um, this preaching in the year 30, um, they had to be brought in to understand because it takes a while to see what God is doing. And then here's what it says. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the word for repent is metanoia. And meta means beyond. Noia is the, the root word for our word knowledge. It's the Greek word gnosis, nous, mind. Um, so go beyond where your mind is at. It is, yeah, leave sin behind. Leave all this garbage behind. But change how you think about your life. Because all of Jesus' ministry is there to basically blow your mind and tell you you are meant for another place and heaven starts here for you or hell starts here for you or purgatory starts here for you. Um, but you got to see it rightly to understand it. Now, this is the part that I really like about this gospel. The very next thing Jesus does after saying the time's fulfilled, the kingdom's at hand, and change how you think. He then goes to the Sea of Galilee and he calls these guys who were the disciples of John the Baptist. But not just them, significantly, he calls them and their brothers. And so he calls Andrew and Simon, who will become Peter. He calls John and his brother James, um, the sons of thunder, Jesus will call them, uh, these really consequential first disciples of Jesus. Now, remember, 
We live forward, but we learn and understand backwards by thinking about previous experience. And so here's where this story's coming from. Do you remember that God uh, makes Mary pregnant just by his word, spoken by the angel? In first Genesis, and, and Mark's gospel, like John's, starts with, um, in the beginning is how John's gospel starts. Mark starts the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but both phrases take you back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, uh, God hovered over the waters. He hovered over chaos, and he spoke, let there be light, and there was light. And so when John's talking about Jesus, he's talking about Jesus as God's wisdom. And then you remember, like when the angel speaks to Mary, a child is con conceived in Mary's womb just by word, not by human seed. So God creates man um, by just uh, calling him into being, uh, making of mud and breathing into him. And so like in Genesis, when God brings woman, he brings woman out of the side of man. But God brings man, the new Adam, out of the womb of the Virgin Mary. And so are both are brought from within the others, the other gender, um, and uh, made whole. So when Adam and Eve fall, do you remember they do have two children, Cain and Abel. Cain slays Abel, and then Cain goes off in chapter four, founds a city, an evil city that gets more and more evil until it's destroyed in the flood at the time of Noah. So when Jesus is born, he has no brother like Cain had Abel. He's an only son. And what he does is he goes out and his first disciples, he calls brothers, uh, calls them all into the work of it. So if you look at the parallels between how Genesis 1 through 4 is told and um, how uh, all four gospels really talk about how the disciples are put together, what you see is a pattern of Jesus recapitulating the where things went wrong in Genesis. And that's how the early church looked at it. St. Paul um, says that um, in Romans that in Adam all sinned. And so in the new Adam, that's Jesus, all are made righteous. Uh, it's where we get our idea of the efficacy of the cross saving all of us because we are made one in the new Adam. We become part of his body, and his work of redemption is what uh, redeems us. Um, and so how it is that human beings are healed. You know, I think another interesting thing about it is, you know, that story of Cain and Abel, where Cain kills Abel, and Cain goes off and founds a city. Romulus and Remus, it's the same story. This is how uh, when we think about the Word of God, we're not claiming that every single story in there is something the Jewish people, the Hebrew people made up for themselves. We do claim that they take all these stories like the flood, which were already around in the surrounding culture, and they retell them according to the understanding of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a God that loves his people, and then through his people gives us a son, and his love is expressed to all of humanity and all of creation. You know that story, Romulus and Remus, Romulus kills Remus because he's gonna found the city, and then the city takes its name from Romulus, Rome. 
And it's interesting that Jesus is reconciling these brothers in the midst of this violent Roman Empire, which really glorifies brother killing brother. That's the way to power. Um, but what Jesus is putting together is what the true power is and how the power of how it is that you give life. And so Mark's gospel, the time of fulfillment referring to Daniel, the kingdom of God who is Jesus, changing how you think about God, and then recapitulation, that is retelling the story of Genesis and recreating people through sacrament and word, uh, through worship and through moral action of people pleasing to God so that when Messiah comes back for Jews and Christians, um, you know, I think we're reasonably assured it's going to be Jesus. He may go to the synagogues first because he is a Jew, right? But he's not going to forget us either. So now I'd like to bring this podcast to an end, uh, this uh, recapitulation of uh, Oro Valley Catholic. And so, you know, I'm going to put a link uh, to Dr. Christopher Kazor's article about Scripture because I think it's worth the read. Uh, but here's how he concludes about how to think about the Bible, going back to this debate between Dr. Jordan Peterson and Dr. Sam Harris. He says, Harris's critique may legitimately undermine Muslim or some Protestant fundamentalist understandings of Scripture. That is about dictation, which you remember I spoke about. They, they can speak for themselves, he says. But it's a straw man character of the Catholic approach to the Bible. This approach is summarized with brevity and clarity by Pope Benedict's exhortation, Verbum Domini. That's where the quote from uh, uh, Pope Benedict was taken. Uh, sections 36 to 44. The Catholic understanding is in fundamental disagreement with Dr. Harris. Um, and uh, more like Peterson's, he says, that there's this multivalent, various values that come through scriptures. Um, and then he concludes as follows. If this approach is right, God does not communicate via the wind of a hurricane, the ground-shattering force of an earthquake, or the blaze of roaring fire, but rather through a gentle whisper. God does not become human as gigantic um, uh, UFC fighter who lives by the sword, but as a swaddled infant and later as a man bound, scourged, and put to death. And so, too, God's word does not overwhelm with scientific insights utterly unintelligible to the first readers of Scripture. Maybe the ways of God are not the ways of Sam. And so here's what I conclude. Um, the Bible's not a cookbook, so you're not going to find a great, a great recipe for lasagna in it. The Bible's not an adventure story with no point and purpose to it. The, God, the Bible, this library is this deep reflection on God's love for us. And if you accept it, then you respond to God's love by accepting baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. This is the Catholic understanding of why Divine uh, Word Sunday is so important. So we remember what the Bible is and what it's not. So here, I'm back. Um, see you later on our next version of my next episode of Oro Valley Catholic.